1: Welcome to Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes, produced by WKXL, AM and FM in Concord, New Hampshire, podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. This is Paul Hodes, and we are very pleased to welcome, as our special guest to today's show, the New Hampshire Democratic candidate for governor of the state, Dan Feltis. Dan, welcome to Off the Record.
2: Thank you very much, Paul and Matt, for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Well, here we go.
2: And I enjoy your island view.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, this is radio, so we're, we're doing this by Zoom these days for, for social distance. And as Robeson says, he's always happy to keep his social distance from me. But we're recording, uh, we're doing this by audio, so what people can't see that Dan was just talking about is my background for our Zoom is, I don't know, Aruba or Virgin Gorda or somewhere beautiful, but I'm not there. I'm right here with you. So let's, we'll jump right in. You're running for governor. There are, I don't know, just a few, I think we're in the teens now, winding down to a uh, contentious and wild election. Um, it's been a long slog for you, long campaign. But I'd like to make sure that folks know something about you, where you come from, what you're about. So, tell us about your family and and your upbringing, and and we'll we'll sort of. I, I do this with, with a lot of guests, by the way, because people are interested in people, and yeah. and people elect people, uh, and you know I I like we like to get behind the the veil. The political veil to to really know know who you are and what makes you tick.
2: Yep. Well, well thanks, Paul. I you know I uh, live in the South End of Concord uh, on Hope Avenue with wonderful wife Erin, our two amazing daughters Iris and Josie, and our two dogs Franklin and Roosevelt. Um, and I have a bit of a different perspective and background than the current governor who's seeking a rare third term as governor. You see, my dad wasn't governor. My brother wasn't a US senator. And unlike Chris you knew I was never gifted a ski resort. My dad worked in a furniture factory for 45 years, the same one on air conditioned doing roughly the same job, day in and day out, for 45 years. My mom, she did part-time work, including the night shift, while raising four kids. And the gifts that they gave to me were the values of hard work honesty and integrity and looking out for everybody, especially those left out and left behind. Those are the values I've tried to live my entire life, Paul. First, as a legal aid attorney with New Hampshire Legal Assistance for about a decade, representing low to middle income families, seniors, fighting for veterans who have fought for us for the VA benefits they earned. They were entitled to helping people during the last economic crisis, the Great Recession, get back up on their feet, battle Wall Street banks who were foreclosing on folks all across New Hampshire during that time did that for about a decade in the state senate for three terms and as majority leader of the state senate fighting for working people and working families every step of the way delivering real results from prescription drug relief to clean water to bipartisan medicaid expansion 50,000 granted staters but all too often bumping up against the same obstacle paul chris sununu and his record setting 79 veto 65 of which had bipartisan support it's no wonder Kristen Unu calls himself, in his own words, a Trump guy through and through, and like Trump, Kristen supports the repeal of Obamacare. And in fact, when Kristen Unu was asked in uh, 2016 why he supported Donald Trump, he said, "I support Trump because quote he could actually finally end horrible programs like Obamacare." Unquote, uh, and he cheerled the effort uh, to repeal Obamacare. Uh, uh, at the federal level, federal legislation. In fact, when the House, U.S. House passed it, he called it, quote, a huge win. Fortunately, we have wonderful U.S. Senators, Gene Shaheen and Maggie Hassan, who working together with the late Senator John McCain, they voted that down and dealt a huge loss to Trump and Sununu in their effort to repeal Obamacare. But they didn't get their way uh, that way, Paul. So you know what's going on is there's a Supreme Court argument, November 10th. And Trump and the Republicans are pushing forward, Judge Barrett, with a long history of opposition to Obamacare. Yeah. And Chris Sununu says, you know what, let's move forward with that. You know what, health care is on the ballot. And how we get out of this mess in a way that looks out for people like the people I fought for in legal aid. Like my family, workers and families who are working hard, playing by the rules, never asked for a damn thing. Their health care, their jobs, their livelihood, they're, the frontline workers need to be protected and lifted up. Their voices need to be heard. They ought to have someone in their corner, in the corner office, and they don't right now. But when we win this in 19 days, they will,
1: Paul. Okay, so I'm going to follow up. Matt, just hold on. I know, I, know, I know Matt is just itching to go. But now I'm going to ask you, I got a couple of really hardball questions for you. First, Hardball or
2: or fastball? Hardball.
1: But my fastball is a hardball. I use hardballs to throw (laughs) fastballs. So when you were in high school, did you play sports?
2: Yes. I played football football and baseball.
1: Okay. So I want to hear a little bit about your football career in high school. I want to know what position you played, whether you started as a freshman, what, what, what Tell me about your football experience in high school, and I want to know what you learned from it.
2: Well, um, I played uh, uh, split end and outside linebacker, um, and I believe I'd, I'd have to go back and check that I even uh, set a record for most assisted tackles in a game, one single game. That was the only, the only record I set. But, um, and I was also the long snapper. Um, and here's a funny story about how that came to be, um, is, uh, after practice, uh, the coaches made the split ends the wide receivers and running backs, uh, catch punts and then run them another 30 yards over and over and over again. And, uh, that seemed a little tiring for me. Um, so I offered to snap for the punts <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, the response by one of the football coaches was uh, You know jesus christ you can you can long snap Feltis. Um and so that 's how I ended up inadvertently becoming the long snapper
1: <laughs> now so for 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 folks for folks uh, out there, the long snapper is the guy who bends over the ball and basically has to throw a pass underhanded between his legs, looking backwards at the punter and get it to the punter in a perfect spiral so the punter can punt it. Am I, am I right?
2: You're right. Although they were never perfect spirals, but that, that's the goal. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's very, that, that's very- I, I, I do have it on good authority that Dan struggles a bit with perfect spirals, but actually I want to, I want to jump off from the, from the long snapper thing. Actually, Paul, I think, I think you've led us into a really, really good segue here. It seems to me, Dan, that you have sort of lived your whole life and conducted your career as sort of taking on a lot of unheralded and thankless jobs right you 're the long snapper for your football team, critical for the team's success, but not what goes up on the marquee. You became a lawyer and you didn 't go to a fancy firm and you didn 't go try and make a lot of money in a big city. you became a legal aid lawyer to try and help people get their veterans' benefits and their social security benefits and yeah, and, and fix their rent problems and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And then when you decided to get into public service, you ran for the state Senate. And for listeners who don't know, that's a job that pays a grand total of $100 a year plus transportation expenses, which since you represented the Concord area, you had virtually none. So I, I want to ask sort of a two-part question here. What keeps attracting you to these kinds of jobs where you can have a big impact but you don't get a heck of a lot of glory and does that connect at all to why you want to be governor of New Hampshire?
2: Yeah, I uh, absolutely. I mean, I, man, I'm not I'm not running for governor to 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 be governor. I'm running for governor to serve as governor to get things done for ordinary folks, especially right now who are being left out and left behind. That's what it's about. And, you know, the, the night that Aaron and I decided to undertake this effort was uh, on a veto override day when we had already passed addiction treatment services, addiction treatment services. We passed it out of the state Senate, 24 to 0. All the Republicans, all the Democrats came together as majority leader in uh, 2019. And Kristen Sununu vetoed it. And it needed to, we need to stand up those services for folks on the ground who needed it. And by the way, it's only getting worse right now, the opioid epidemic in this pandemic. So we scheduled the veto override vote. And uh, our Republican colleagues who voted with us on that 24-0 vote, um, as as much as I tried, they didn't hang uh, uh, with their initial vote. And instead, what happened was Chris Studden went into their caucus, and this is public now, and said, "Your vote on veto override—it's not about the issues or your constituents. It's about me and protecting my veto." That's the antithesis of public service. That's the exact opposite reason, in my view, why you get into this. And that night, I went home and I talked with Aaron about it. And I'm a pretty optimistic guy, but I was pretty demoralized. And she said, "Well, you got to do something about it." Um, and I said, "What's that?" She's like, "We're going to run." that's the story that's when we decided to do this and that's what it's about it's about serving everybody especially those left out and left behind we talked about it earlier with paul those folks who are working hard playing by the rules never ask for a damn thing they ought to have someone in their corner in the corner office that's what this is about that's what it's always been about to me
1: so you know I, i've run for office i've won i've won some i've lost some uh, I don't have uh, uh, your background. I I come I came from a I came from a different background, and um, I what I've said to to people is uh, well I guess I have the help gene. I I I, I became a lawyer because yep. I wanted to represent people. I have the help gene, um, and I, you know there there is a distinguishing characteristic that you bring that um, as you point out doesn't belong. To the current occupant of that office. And whether it's called the help gene or the somehow the impulse to help people, the impulse to serve, uh, it, it's fascinating because, frankly, not everybody has it. Not everybody's willing to do it. Thankfully, you are willing to undertake it. Where do you think it comes from? Did it come from your parents? Did it come from some lesson you learned, some teacher, somebody, where where does it come from?
2: I think, it, I mean, without question, and I think it came from my parents. Um, and the lessons and values that they instilled in me, you know, honesty and integrity, hard work, um, and looking out for ordinary folks. I mean, the conversations around the dinner table was about, uh, you know, workers and and what families are facing literally and including our family. And I was pretty young when uh my dad's furniture factory went on strike. Uh fortunately Steelworker Organized for Decent Pay and Benefits went on strike as I was four years old. I didn't know the full ramifications of it, but I understood that something was going on and I understood that it was very distressing and it was several weeks. Um and it was several weeks of um you know tough situation and uh, including my mom uh Uh, you know, stood in line at bread line and and cheese lines, the union provided bread and cheese uh, for folks who were struggling. And, but you know, what they talked about and what I sensed and what I fully learned even more about as time went on is that they hung together. They hung together for the broader good uh, collectively for one another and for one another's families and that union didn't break and they got a good contract and them and their families were taken care of. And so that collective uh, view, that fundamental belief that we are all in this together and that we look out for one another, uh, that fundamentally I think came from uh, my parents without a question.
1: This is off the record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes. Uh, We're talking with Dan Feltes, who is running for governor of New Hampshire. He is the Democratic candidate. We've been talking with Dan about his background, his life, his history, his parents, his family, and uh, what makes him tick, why he wants to run for governor, and what it means for the people of New Hampshire to have somebody like Dan, who believes in public service, running for governor. We're going to take a break here. And then we're gonna come back, and I trust that Matt Robeson is gonna have all kinds of hardball policy questions uh, so that uh, we're gonna test Dan on on the real stuff. But it's really been great, Dan, so far, to hear about the stuff that's in your heart, because rarely do we get to that in the normal political dialogue. So I'm really happy to hear it. Folks, we'll be right back after this. Don't go away. back it's off the record with matt robeson and paul hodes produced by wkxl podcast on google stitcher and itunes my co-host matt robeson writes for the alternate and has a blog called More Forum.com for deep dives into politics and we are speaking today with our democratic candidate for governor uh the honorable dan feltis Uh, We talked a little bit about Dan's background in the first segment. We hope you were here for that. And Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you, so uh, you can kick off with whatever you have in mind. You know,
0: when I used to work for members of Congress, uh, including Paul, I used to sometimes take them through an exercise at the beginning of a term, where I would say, "Imagine you've just reached the end of your term, and." You're your hometown paper, and you're, you're, you have to write the editorial that they're going to write, endorsing you for re-election. I found it was a really helpful focusing exercise about what you wanted to get done, what you most wanted to accomplish for the people you were going to represent. And I was wondering if you could maybe indulge us in, in, in going through an exercise like that with us, um, if you were the Concord Monitor, let's say, and in two years you were Governor Dan Phelps, running for reelection, what, let's, let's call it two or three things, would you love for them to call out that you had gotten done in your term that would justify your re-election? What, what, what's, the, what's the core of that for you?
2: the core of it has to be working people and working families are much better positioned. Wages are going up. Um, There's more security. Um, uh, Healthcare access goes up, healthcare costs go down. We deal with the opioid epidemic. We more fully fund our schools and we look out for our kids. Um, uh, Fundamentally, uh, you can judge all of those um, by different metrics. Uh, but that's where we're at right now. We need a future where we uh, chart that path, uh, where we get out of this mess in a way that works for ordinary folks. Um, um, you know, and I think uh, we need to step up to the plate uh, on the climate crisis. We've got to step up to the plate on racial justice as well. So um, I think while those are, you know, that's not two or three, that's four or five or six, but the more general um, proposition that, uh, I would like um, and I suspect would happen one way or another is Dan didn't shy away or duck from tough issues. He took him on and, and uh, we made some progress here, we made, hopefully we'll make progress on all of them, but um, when the going gets tough with this governor, he ducks or delays. He ducked on schools, passed the buck, just like Trump uh, on school reopening. Uh, duct... You're talking about Sununu
0: here, not you.
2: Yes. Um, Sununu ducked on schools, passed the buck, just like Trump. Uh, <laughs> we got, thank you for the clarification,
1: Matt. Yeah. Uh, see, you see, Matt, he can't help it. He is so good. <laughs> he is on message so so well it's so it's so baked into the cake at this point that he can't talk about himself he only talks about the other guy which is a smart thing to do but i'm not going to let you get away with that because i want to now now i'll ask you uh, I, I actually do have a, a, a serious question which is that that in in your primary you faced a wonderful opponent andy volinsky and you guys had a a spirited uh primary that raised a number of issues um, you, uh, it, you know, it was it was a it was good for uh, Democrats in New Hampshire. Uh, you've ended up on top, and one of the areas that there was a disagreement about was the issue of the New Hampshire tax system, the perennial third rail for Democrats. Um, you know, and and an issue that has come up time and time again, mostly because people are concerned, and rightly so, about how we fund our schools. There's a school commission at work right now, a legislative commission to look at all the, all the issues around school funding. They've had a report from, a, from their research firm that says we have a regressive tax system. And the research firm didn't say, this is what you've got to do, but uh, pointed out that as a result of the way we fund our schools, um, that there are great uh, disparities in outcomes. And 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 so basically, uh, what we hear is that the commission is looking at um, uh, a funding system for our schools, which would focus on outcomes. Um, how can we do that without more money in the system? Because you have you're you're not inclined to favor a a broad-based tax. And and frankly, Democrats running for governor uh, successfully have not favored uh, changing the tax system for a broad-based tax. So what are your thoughts and how do you reconcile what we need to pay for how we can get better outcomes on a more fair basis uh, and really do what we need to do to transform our schools for the 21st century?
2: Well, we start, uh, Paul, with that fundamental principle, of belief and value that we are all in this together, that every child, regardless of where they live, where they grow up, what they look like, um, you know, ought to have the opportunity to live out their God-given potential. That's what education is all about uh, you know, for all of our kids. Iris and Josie are gonna be going to public schools, but all of our kids, not just Iris and Josie, all of our kids, uh, need a foundation for success, an opportunity that's as strong as a granite under our soil. Got to build a bigger and better and brighter future for everybody. We started that path in the last budget, Paul. Uh, as you know, we secured the biggest public school education budget at the state level in state history, uh, 140 million in new public school education funding, finally doing full-day kindergarten, which as Matt and, and you, Paul, know uh, I've been fighting on that for a long time. Sununu tied kindergartners to Kino. We untied them from Keno, finally treat kindergartners like any other grade schooler. We did property disparity, property poor school districts, and we stemmed the tide on stabilization. So we built a budget that was the most progressive budget on public school education in state history. Uh, What we also did is we, uh, as you mentioned, Paul, form a school funding commission uh, to take a look at this and provide some recommendations. And there's also a case going up, uh, there was Supreme Court arguments, New Hampshire Supreme Court arguments on school funding case um, uh, just a couple weeks ago. So we're gonna have some inputs uh, in all likelihood, both from the School Funding Commission and from the New Hampshire Supreme Court. We've got to take a look at it and then work from both of those. Um, but here are some initial ideas. Number one, we got to end the reality that New Hampshire's one of only six states that does nothing for pre-K. The best investments we make as a society and the best ones we make in our kids. Um, and, you know, look, we're joining, I think, five states in the south uh, on that, to have that uh, distinction. Um, and uh, we, need to, we need to do something on pre-K, number one. Number two, uh, we need to protect this budget and build off of it. And the best way to protect the budget, by the way, is to win this election for governor. Because Chris Sununu has said he wants to go back to 2019 spending levels in the state budget. That's what he said. You know what that means? That 140 million is gone. He called it one time already. I already sent a letter to superintendent of school prior to the pandemic saying he considered it one time and don't bank on it moving forward. So you go backwards with Chris Sununu on education funding. We gotta go forward. We gotta protect that budget and build off of it. And by the way, getting rid of that 140 million raises your property taxes. For those listening at home, Chris Sununu wants to raise your property taxes by at least $140 million. That's literally what's at stake in this race. So what do we do to build that budget and what can we do moving forward? Well, one thing we did, and as chair of the Ways and Means Committee, vice chair of the Finance Committee and majority leader of the State Senate, we put together a budget that actually dealt with some of the loopholes in our corporate tax code. The biggest chunk of revenue in the state budget is business and corporate taxes and we did business tax reform reform so that businesses located in New Hampshire as a general proposition, paid a little bit less, businesses located outside of New Hampshire, multi-state, multinational corporations that sell products or services into New Hampshire actually start paying or pay more of their fair share. So companies like Netflix and Amazon, which obviously had a tangible business relationship with the state of New Hampshire, sell products and services into the state of New Hampshire, weren't paying a nickel in our corporate tax code when they're paying in every other corporate tax code. Roughly 50% of the corporations that do business in New Hampshire, sell products or services in New Hampshire, don't pay at all. That's not fair to businesses in New Hampshire. That's not fair to property taxpayers either. So uh, what we gotta do is continue to protect that budget and build off of it. And You're right, Paul. I don't support a broad-based income or sales tax. I would veto an income or sales tax. What I favor is, in my view, progressive budgeting, where we close those loopholes for big multinational corporations and folks at the top. If your last name is Sununu, you should be paying a little bit more, and property taxpayers should be paying a little bit less. Uh, That's my view. The folks at the top and big corporations pay more of their fair share.
0: So I'm about to... uh... Lay a terrible trap for you here, Dan, um, because I know we're coming up on a on a segment break. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set you up here with a question, um, and maybe you'll even be able to get to the end ans- the uh, end of the answer. Um, it seems like the the biggest fracture <laughs> in in your race for governor between you and your opponent, um, and it's probably the number one driving issue in the country right now is over access to affordable health care. Um, it's just what comes back consistently in surveys from people um, as, as their top concern. And, of course, that makes sense in the middle of the pandemic. Um, what do you see as the big difference between you and the current governor? And, and how do you think under a Feltus administration, how, what would the difference be in terms of access to health care, protecting the access that people have? now and trying to build on what's been achieved in the state uh, over the last decade or so.
1: And I just want to add one extra question. That So that's A, and B is uh, the uh, the United States Supreme Court's going to take up Obamacare on November 10th, probably with the six to three conservative majority with Amy Coney Barrett, um, uh, Trump's hand picked um, uh, 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 hand, handmaiden on, on the court, uh, they're likely to do away with Obamacare. So w- once you answer Matt's question, I'd love to hear your ideas about what we do as a state if Obamacare is gone.
2: All right, well, um, you know, if Obamacare is, let me, I'll, I'll answer Paul's first. Uh, if Obamacare is gone, hundreds of thousands of Granite Staters would lose their coverage Medicaid expansion, which uh, covers about 50,000 grant staters and is the single most effective way to combat the opioid epidemic would be gone. Uh, and for everybody else, your rates would go skyrocketing. when We already have the highest healthcare premiums in the country under Chris Sununu. Um, community rating would be gone. Price caps would be gone. Support for community health centers, rural health centers, our critical access hospitals would be gone. They're already in the red. Nun hasn't given them COVID relief money, uh, and a couple of them went belly up already under Kristen Nuna's watch. Pretty much all the rest of them will go belly up. Access will go down, costs will skyrocket. and protections for people with pre-existing conditions nationwide will be gone. Uh, I passed a bill to protect folks at the state level, but it, the repeal of Obamacare would put that at risk. Um, and so um, literally everything that we've done, And everything that Paul, when you were in Congress, you passed this. um, Everything you fought for would be thrown out the window. Literally. So when I say say to folks, vote this year like your health care depends on it, like your health depends on it, it's true. Get out there and vote. If you're listening right now, go vote and vote vote against the Trump-Sununu anti-health care agenda. You know and vote for people like Joe Biden who wants to strengthen and enhance the Affordable Care Act vote for me who wants to strengthen and enhance it on the ground here in New Hampshire expand access reduce costs and going to Matt's question we put forward a health care plan to do just that Um, and and we'll talk more about it
1: after this break oh man is he good hey folks it's Paul Hodes interrupting Dan Feltes uh, Paul and Matt are the hosts of Off the Record. Dan Feltis just did one of the best segues we've ever had on our show. He, we're going to invite him uh, to be a perennial co host with us. He's, got, he's, he's clearly a natural. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with more of our special guest, Dan Feltis, the New Hampshire Democratic candidate for governor of the state of New Hampshire. Don't go away. We're going to be talking some more about health care and other critical issues that affect your life. We'll be right back. We're back. It's off the record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson co-hosting, produced by WKXL in Concord, New Hampshire, podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. We're talking with Dan Feltis, the New Hampshire Democratic candidate for governor of the great state of New Hampshire. One of my favorite governors, John Lynch, would always say the great state of New Hampshire just before he complimented the greatest first lady, his wife, Dr. Susan Lynch, Everything was great then, and if we get another Democratic governor, maybe things will be great again in New Hampshire. But I, I, I don't think it's fair of me, however, to adopt the slogan, make New Hampshire great again. I don't think that's a fair, <laughs> fair thing to do. Uh, to our poor beleaguered president and the poor beleaguered Chris Sununu who'd like everybody to believe that his affability means his policies work. But Dan Feltes is telling us why they don't. So, Dan, we were in the middle of talking about health care. We talked about the tragic consequences if Obamacare goes away. What are some of your ideas about what we're going to do in New Hampshire when you're governor on health care?
2: Well, uh, health care is a right, not a privilege. And we got to increase access and reduce costs. And like I mentioned earlier, Paul, under Christian, we have the highest health care costs in the nation. Uh, and Krista you know, just like Trump, has taken thousands of dollars. In fact, he's taken over $100,000 from the health insurance companies, uh, Christian you know, has. Uh, I've been taking it to the health insurance companies my entire life as a legal aid lawyer and in the state Senate. He's been taking their checks. Um, And so that tells you where things are at moving forward. Um, And here's what we got to do. I put forward a healthcare plan. I'll just hit a couple of the high points. Number one, Christian uni has something called the doorways program for substance use disorder treatment. It's an intake and referral system. Uh, Despite the best efforts of folks on the ground, there's no back end. There's no back room. It's a doorway to nowhere. So you know what? Let's replace it with the doorways to recovery and actually build up our treatment capacity in the state. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, actually pass paid family and medical leave insurance. Chris Sununu leaves that part out when he calls it, quote unquote, a vacation. Uh, And not only did he veto it, he auctioned off a copy of his veto at a partisan political fundraiser and then auctioned off the U.S. flag flown over the statehouse the day he vetoed paid family leave. He literally did that. Uh, That's what Chris Sununu did, you know, and uh, what message does it send to working families and what message does it send to veterans? It's no surprise he didn't say anything. When Donald Trump called service members who served our nation, who tied serving our nation, called them losers and suckers, Chris Sununu said nothing in response and continues to stand right by Trump and be Trump's top enabler in the state, calls himself a Trump guy through and through. You know what? We're through with that. Let's move forward on healthcare. Paid family and medical leave insurance is a huge part of it. Just imagine where we'd be if people had paid family and medical leave insurance right now in COVID? Think about it. Um, think about it uh, in terms of having a new kid, a baby. Think about it in terms of caretaking for a loved one. You know, there is a story uh, of uh, a person who came and testified and paid family leave, uh, Kurt. Um, and Kurt testified and he told the story of how he and his wife went to a routine medical visit, his wife had migraines. The doctor said, you know what? We need to get an MRI, I think something's amiss here. And it came back and his wife had terminal brain cancer. Two months to live, literally. And Kurt couldn't spend that time with her. Couldn't spend that, those last two months with his wife because he couldn't risk his family's economic security uh, because he didn't have access to paid family and medical leave insurance that's not right we value work we value family you should value the proposition you shouldn't have to choose between the two if at all possible and so that's what this race is all about if you want paid family and medical leave insurance um you can't vote for kristen you know. he's had two terms he's failed uh blocking bipartisan bills if you want to move forward on the opioid epidemic and addiction treatment, which we've talked about throughout the course of this, uh, this conversation, Paul, you, ca- you can't, Kristen Noonan can't get a third term. And if you want to get out of this pandemic in a way that looks out for the healthcare security of everybody and access for everybody, you can't vote for Kristen Noonan.
1: So um, let's talk about COVID for a second. I, um, I was on the phone this morning with um, my favorite aunt, she's uh, 93 years old, and she's- I hope your
0: other aunts don't listen to this, Paul.
1: Well, my other aunts probably don't, because um, my, 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 other, my other aunt uses a major hearing aid, and she doesn't listen to a lot of radio these days. But the aunt I'm talking about, the favorite aunt, is 93 years old, and uh, she's in an elder care facility down in Connecticut, and I talked to her today in the hospital, uh, because she's got COVID. And um, no ventilator, but supplemental oxygen and taking care. And uh, she's uh, she told me she was having a really, really tough time. And I dare say that there's almost nobody in New Hampshire who hasn't been touched personally by knowing somebody who's gotten COVID. We've all been touched by the precautions we've had to take. There's been controversy over whether and how to open schools, controversy about whether and how to go to work, to eat in restaurants, the arts and entertainment industry is taking it in the chops. And we're experiencing a surge in New Hampshire, predicted, a predicted surge that many people minimize, but it's here. What does Governor Feltus do day one to, to step up the effort to deal with COVID in New Hampshire?
2: Well, first, uh, we, we need a real support and a real plan for our schools. Uh, and the spike that's occurring in New Hampshire in part is related to schools. Um, and New Hampshire's numbers are going up faster than many other states. And we have much worse numbers than Maine or Vermont. And safe schools equals safe communities. So we need a school reopening plan. Christian Nunu, unlike um, Chris like Trump, pass the buck on it down to the local level and there are good people at the local level that sign up for school board and want to serve their community they're not epidemiologists um you know and chris sanita's excuse is literally well local control uh he didn't use that excuse uh when he did a power grab over the rest of new hampshire's economy Um, and uh, instead when it came to the hot topic of schools he threw up his hands and said local control Well, you know what, the virus doesn't change forms if it's in Manchester or Wolfboro. It's still the same thing. Public health standards need to apply and we need real support for our schools. We have a plan, live free and learn safe. It's on our website. Uh, You can take a look at it. Um, Number two, a real support for our nursing homes and assisted living facilities and our healthcare providers. Um, We have uh, ranked by the New York Times, the worst COVID situation in nursing homes in the country, literally. And it was months before Kristen Nunu even did anything. We all knew what was going on. We knew this was gonna be a problem. We saw what happened out in Washington at a nursing home facility early on. Um, And the first thing Kristen Nunu did uh, well into this crisis was go out to a no-bid contract to a corporate campaign donor to do some testing of some of the residents in some of the facilities, not consistent with the CDC guidance. And then he turns around and vetoes our legislation to provide PPE testing and financial support to those facilities. Now we got more outbreaks in nursing home and assisted living facilities. And Kristin says, everything's great. That's what he said the other day. Uh, So we're gonna take care of our most vulnerable. We're gonna take care of our nursing home facilities and assisted uh, living facilities and not gloss it over and not try to change the subject. Uh, Number three. Um, we need to get out of this economically in a way that makes sense. Uh, for working families and for frontline workers, we need to move forward with reinstating and raising the minimum wage, paid family and medical leave insurance, and common sense housing protections. I managed the housing project of New Hampshire Legal Assistance for four years, battling Wall Street banks, helping renters, access to affordable housing. We had housing protections in COVID that Kristina knew vetoed, and now people are losing their homes all across New Hampshire because of Chris Sununu. Baseline housing protections for folks, uh, economic housing and healthcare security. Last point on this, um, we need access to rapid testing and we need to waive the fees. Um, And that's one of the biggest impediments to uh, childcare and school and everything else um, is the, absence of rapid testing and also the fees associated with testing. We had legislation to waive the fees that insurance carriers charge people who need COVID-19 tests and, and Chris did it, um, siding with the health insurance industry once again. Um, time and time again, siding with the health insurance industry over the health of granite staters. So these are just some of the things we have to move forward
1: on. And it's not Rocket science, your basic stuff. What's getting in Sununa's way? Why does he keep doing this, Dan? What is it? Is he on the take? What's in it for him? Is it philosophy? Is it ideology? Is it laziness? Is it mendacious mendacity? What's what's driving him to all these bad policies? Because, you know, everybody thinks he gives a good press conference. He looks smooth. He talks sweet. He's such an affable, likable guy. I mean, how can he be How can he be bad if he's such a nice guy?
2: Well, look, uh, uh, I'm not going to speculate uh, on his motivations, but um, you're right that he does do a better job at press conferences than Donald Trump. Uh, but that's a pretty low bar. Um, and uh, that shouldn't be the only measure that we hold our public servants to. Uh, and we should hold them to what's going on in people's lives. And I don't think anyone listening to this program think things are okay. Trump and Sununu want to tell you that everything's fine. That's all they talk about. Trump gives himself an A+. Plus. Chris Sununu pats himself on the back all the time. That's not Okay. Does anybody feel okay right now come on now uh, most people don't know what's going on next week not alone on the next day especially if you have kids and you're a working family um, child care school might get shut down my kid might get pulled out might lose your job working for sub minimum wages I mean come on now this is not but half of the kids in New Hampshire by the way are living in working poor households half at or below 300% of FPG. Um, Uninsured rates have gone up. Overdoses have gone up. Overdose deaths have gone up. Uh, The emergency room boarding crisis has gotten worse. Um, Are you going to stand up here and say everything's okay? Do your press conferences and say everything's fine. Come on. We're better than that. We're New Hampshire. We're a lot better than this and we're going to be a whole heck of a lot better than this when we win this race.
0: So... One of the ways the, that uh, we can try and get ourselves out of this situation where so many children are living in poverty, um, and I mean this is about to go to kind of a classic campaign question is uh, to try and boost the economy, recover you know in Joe Biden's phrase, build back better uh, from the job loss we've experienced and so the classic question to candidates is well how do you how do you create a job and of course you know this this leads to sort of a uh, a classic back and forth where Republicans tend to say, well, businesses create jobs, you know, and Democrats end up on the defensive. The reality is that the policies that people in government enact have a lot to do with how well entrepreneurs and businesses can set about creating jobs. So I'm going to turn the question to you. How would you governor Dan Feltis, go about creating not just jobs, but more, high paying jobs in New Hampshire so that we don't have the situation we're in now, not only with so many out of work, but with so many kids stuck in poverty?
2: Well, um, first we gotta move forward and uh, workforce affordable housing. That's a big crisis in the state. It was a crisis prior to COVID, it's only gotten worse now. Uh, capitalize and stabilize our workforce affordable housing fund, increase the supply, also increase accessibility we got uh, roughly 1% vacancy rate in rental housing in the state of New Hampshire nationwide, it's 5%. What does that mean? People can't find a place to live and no pun intended, if you you do, the prices are through the roof. Um, And so that's a workforce issue. Um, And as one housing advocate put it, housing is where jobs go to sleep at night. If you don't have the housing, you don't have affordable housing, um, and the price of rental housing is roughly akin to the collar communities of Boston and you're graduating BC, where are you gonna live? Uh, we got to attract and retain the workforce of tomorrow. Housing is a key p- component of it. Higher education, we froze tuition, we got to reduce it. and We have to have targeted student debt relief to get into the occupations that we need help on right now, including child care and health care. Third, if you want to support the business community, you got to support child care. Um, there are roughly 20,000 workers in New Hampshire right now, right now, that do not have access to childcare, and literally are uh, detached from the labor market because of that. So we have to ramp up childcare support, our facilities, and childcare access. Those are just some of the things we have to do.
1: Folks, it's Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes. We've been talking with Dan Feltes, the New Hampshire Democratic candidate for governor. We're gonna do something a little unusual. Usually Matt and I ramp up, but we're gonna take a short break. We're gonna come back And we're going to spend our one minute wrap up with Dan Feltis just to make sure he gets the last word. Don't go away. We're back. It's Paul Holmes and Matt Robeson on Off the Record. WKXL, AMNFM and, and Concord produces the show with a podcast on Google, Stitcher and iTunes. And we've been talking with Dan Feltis, the New Hampshire Democratic candidate for governor. Dan, we could talk for hours and hours about all the things that need to happen. But let's give our folks just a one minute wrap up. Uh, take it away. The floor is yours.
2: Well, thank you very much, uh, Paul and Matt. I really appreciate it. And for everyone who's listening at home. I respectfully ask for your vote in this race for governor. Uh, But more than that, I I ask you to believe, to believe that we can build a future that works for everybody, an economy that works for everybody, that we can protect and strengthen our healthcare. Uh, Right now we got a governor who doesn't believe in any of that, literally. Uh, All his policies are anti-worker, anti-healthcare, and pro-Trump. In fact, he calls himself a Trump guy through and through. You know what? we got to move forward. we got to move forward together. I come from a working class household, served as a legal aid lawyer, served in the state Senate, delivering real results for ordinary folks. And that's what this is all about, that fundamental belief that we are all in this together. Let's move forward together. Let's move forward together. Let's win this race. Thank you so much for having me. I really
1: appreciate it. This is Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes on WKXL and FM podcast on Google, Stitcher and iTunes. We've just spent... A terrific time with Dan Feltis, the New Hampshire Democratic candidate for governor. We'll be back next week with more Off the record.